This week, I have the pleasure of sitting down with an award-winning author. Inc. Magazine has named his company one of the nation's best places to work. With a decade of coaching and speaking under his belt, Jason Forrest is the CEO and Chief Culture Officer at Forrest Performance Group here in Fort Worth. On this episode, you'll learn about his new book, How to Unleash Your Human Performance, and more. Thanks for listening. Matt McGee is an employee of Frost Insurance. All opinions shared by Matt or guests of the Healthy Conversations podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Frost Insurance or Frost Bank. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for insurance, banking, or investment advice. Healthy Conversations with Matt McGee is brought to you by Straight Up Podcasts. Jason, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. Let's jump right on in. Uh, I think it'd be interesting to start out with what you guys have been doing the past nine, 10 years. Yeah, well, so FBG started uh, again nine years ago this month, and it was all around this one mission to redefine training, change cultures, and transform lives. The problem with most training organizations is that they call themselves a training organization, but they uh, technically aren't actually able to change behavior, which is what training is all about. And so companies invest about $164 billion every year uh, on training people, but they, but, but about 70% of it actually fails to ever achieve an ROI. So we really wanted to create the company that was in that 30% that can yeah. actually prove results. Interesting. I mean, how do you guys really attack that 30% to really focus on changing that behavior? Yeah. So we have, we have several things we do, but the, fi- the five main things that we focus on are uh, one, um, all of our uh, sales training and leadership training is all very tactical. So it's our, all very kind of how-based. So a lot of organizations, they'll tell you kind of what to do or why to do it, but they don't actually give you the steps on how to pull it off. Uh, the second thing, everything we do is uh, very beliefs-oriented. And so um, the, the reason why people don't do things is because they don't they don't have the belief structure to pull it off. So we call them leashes, which we can go into yeah. a little bit later on. So self-image or a rule or reluctance. Uh, or a story that prevents them from doing it. Uh, the third thing is everything we do is program-based versus event-based. So, you know, you would never get on a plane with someone that said they went went to a two-day event on how to fly a plane. You would never do that, right? So yeah. you want them to go through an experiential way to learn how to fly a plane. So all of our training is all very experiential and very program-based. And then, uh, um, and then number four is we teach the sales managers how to be more effective leaders and coaches to reinforce the concepts. And then last, everything we do is cultural um, as well. So we've all been to t- training events before, training initiatives where one department is focused on the training, but but it's more of a check the box type of a situation yeah, or sure. flavor of the month. So we believe in making sure the whole organization's a part of it. Interesting. And so are you guys predominantly doing this uh, through like webinars or how are you doing this for companies across the country? I assume you're traveling a bunch, but you can't be everywhere if it is more program-based versus a two-day seminar like most training that I've been to and most training that most companies are putting on. Yeah, so our, so the combination we do is it's a, a blended learning con- concept. So um, it, start, it always starts off with some sort of assessment, to yeah. some pre-work, and then it goes into uh, the actual event itself, the, the workshop event. And then, and then there's uh, a follow-up process where they actually go to a learning management system and they watch uh, follow-up lessons. They practice the lessons with their customers or with their employees, and they get on a weekly video application call. We use Zoom technology, but a video application call. The 
purpose of the entire call is how does this work in the real world and how can we apply it uh, versus most of the time people discuss training. It's more of a philosophical discussion. Ours is how do we actually apply this with customers, prospects, and uh, employees if we're talking about leadership. That's awesome. I mean, one of the things you spoke on was kind of that human performance and the, the leashes that we all have. Can you go into some more detail there? Yeah. So, so the, the, the trademark formula we created is performance equals knowledge minus leashes. So P equals K minus L. So performance is what we see a person actually do. Um, knowledge is what we've, we've taught them to do. And a leash is any sort of mental resistance that keeps them from doing it 100% of the time. So, so an example would be, um, let's say we wanted to teach a salesperson to ask the question, uh, what's holding you back from moving forward with us, right? Simple question. You could find out all kinds of information about why, the, what hesitations of the customer are, uh, what obstacles are in the way so that we could obviously make the customer feel more certain to move forward. So, but what stops the sales rep from asking that question 100% of the time, which would be the performance that we would see? Well, there's four types of leashes. So one, they have a self-image leash that says, I don't feel like I have the capability or the self-esteem or confidence to pull that question off. I'm afraid of the answer I'm going to get. Uh, maybe they have a story that says story is always external. So they would say something like, well, you know, I could already read the customer and I can tell the customer is not going to um, buy. So what's the point of even asking that question yeah. or it's an economy issue? Uh, they have a reluctance, which is a fear. So they don't want to come across too pushy or intrusive. And then last, they would have a, um, a rule. And a rule is anything we need to see, feel, or hear to give ourselves permission to to do a certain behavior or move the sale forward. And so they might need to feel like the customer needs to smile before they can ask that question or all multiple stakeholders need to be involved before I can ask that question. So what we do is that's very, very important that is the reason why 99% of all training fails is because they might teach people the knowledge, but they don't actually, um, they don't help people recognize what are the leashes that are keeping them from actually executing the knowledge 100% of the time. I mean, you, you know, think about like in the banking world, right? Or in yeah. the personal financial world, you can give someone financial education all day long on how to, you know, make sure they have enough money at the end of the month. But what stops them from actually running a budget in their household on a monthly basis? What are the what are the leashes that keep them from doing that? No, I mean, that makes total sense. And that's definitely the first time I've ever heard anybody talk about sales training from that perspective, even though I've been through sales training for probably the past five, six years. Uh, I mean, how do you personally think about like mental programming and like your daily routine? I mean, obviously, you're super busy. If you're running from one meeting to another, how do you always say, I guess, focused in the present and avoid just sort of going through the motions? Yeah. Well, it's definitely a, it's definitely a, a, a conscious commitment. So I 100% have, you know, times where I'm uh, distracted based on certain things that are happening. But like in my case, my day always starts at 430 with the ritual. So uh, I wake up at 430 and there's usually a meditation that yeah. goes on. Um, I have a, a certain ritualistic thing that I, I, you know, protein shakes and certain stuff that I drink and eat every day and immediately work out. Um, so there's a certain ritual that I do every day to actually get my day uh, ready um, for, my, for my actual day. So, so I think that, that helps a lot to, to make sure that every day you're, you're starting ahead of when everyone else is waking up and you're planning your day. So you plan your day and your day doesn't plan you. And um, 
So I think those are important. But but I think just the the recognition, you know, in this book that that's coming out in October, that the mindset of a sales warrior, and it's all about these forty three mental toughness strategies about being mentally tough. Um, the one of the biggest things that people need to recognize is that they are being programmed on a daily basis. So we're always being programmed yeah. by the media, by politicians, by religion, uh, by parents, siblings, relationships, significant others, uh, good events that have happened to us, bad events that have happened to us. We are 100% always being programmed. So if people see themselves as as a metaphor of a computer, that that every single day we're basically just a living computer and we are constantly hacking ourselves um, and putting our you know, putting information in our in our computer system that either makes us perform better or makes us perform worse and so we have to be aware of that and as long as you're aware of that then now you can actually start choosing what what, what are you going to hack yourself with yeah that makes total sense uh, just curious how long have you been meditating and about how long are those sessions yeah so i don't know gosh 10 or 15 years now, okay, but, cool. um, you know, not, not long, 10, 15 minutes a day. Yeah, interesting. And part of that routine is uh, working out, I assume. I mean, the name of this conver- uh, podcast is Healthy Conversations. So I always try to incorporate that and see what I can learn uh, from what other people are doing. Yeah. So, uh, so for me, I'm a big fan of the more of a, a ketogenic diet, um, you know, which is a great example, actually, of uh, there's a, a new a new documentary that just came out on iTunes called Fat, and um, it's a fascinating documentary because it talks about how, you know, we've evolved quite a bit, and and all of the science that that um, that came out back, you know, whatever it was, 30, 40 years ago, that talked about you needed to have healthy grains every day. I mean, the original food pyramid said said we should have six to eight servings of healthy grains a day. That's crazy. Yeah, right? it's a lot. Servings of healthy grains, right? And so the concept around there's no such thing as a healthy grain. Um, they're, they're, you know, I remember back when I was growing up, my dad would always say, "Hey, don't eat white bread, eat wheat bread." Okay, that would be the same thing as make sure you smoke a cigarette with a filter on. It's still, it's still, you're still smoking a cigarette. Yeah, right? it's for still, sure. It's still wheat. It's still uh, something that's got gluten in it that's affecting your your insulin levels and and is increasing your ability to make you sluggish and and affect your brain power and of course lead to obesity as well. So it's we have to be constantly aware of the programming that is happening to us. And just because it came from the government doesn't mean it's actually correct programming. Because if you actually look at the science of that, uh, it was all false science that they actually created. It wasn't actually sound science that even created our original food pyramid. So so I think, I mean to me you know, I love the idea that it's it's all about, you know, being a warrior is, is again, choosing to be a hacker over your entire life. So being a hacker over your mindset, over a hacker, over your, your, your physiology, your emotional, uh, your, your um, emotional state, you know, those are always important. How you see things, your relationships, it's, it's hacking all areas of your life. Yeah. I mean, you've talked about, a lot of things around behavior and things like that. You haven't even touched on technology, and that seems to be what a lot of salespeople are pushing nowadays. Uh, where do you think technology fits into everything that you guys does it enhance, or how do you guys think of that? Yeah, so I'm, I'm probably going to say something that's going to be pretty out there here. So, so here's my concern with technology: is that um, I believe in majority of the cases, it's a huge distractor for what a salesperson is supposed to be actually doing. So, 
Uh, In the United States, companies have spent over a billion dollars on some sort of technology initiative to make salespeople's lives easier and therefore better and hopefully sell sell more. So when it comes to CRMs, when it comes to, um, you know, um, artificial intelligence, um, all all kinds of tools and and resources to, again, help the salesperson, right? Okay. But in the last 10 years, one thing has actually not changed, and that's salespeople's actual results. So even though we've spent over a billion dollars trying to increase salespeople's results, the individual salesperson results actually has not improved. Well, the reason for that is because we're not actually addressing the real problem. And the real problem is salespeople have to initiate contact. And so if they don't initiate contact because they've got a story, so they get the the leash that says, well, what's the point of calling on this person? They're already happy with someone else. They're already with another bank, for example, or they're already with another service. I'm not going to call on them. Or the economy is not, you know, is, is not not good right now, or they've got a reluctance, I don't want to come across too pushy, or they've got a self-image where I don't feel confident or have enough self-esteem in order to make this call, or they've got a rule that says, I don't feel like I've got given myself, I don't have permission yet to make this, initiate this contact or follow up with this person. Well, the point is, is that all the technology in the world doesn't do anything. It can can say, call this person today because this person is a hot lead. But if they have a leash that keeps them from actually initiating contact, that technology is a waste of money. Yeah, or they're just going to half-ass it and just call and leave a voicemail. Correct. Yeah, interesting. So, so my whole thing is, it, it yes, as long as the as long as the presupposition is that I am a sales warrior who initiates contact every day, and I initiate more contact than any other salesperson I compete against, then and only then let's add technology to improve and enhance that salesperson but the technology will not replace just the the basic concept of you got to initiate contact yeah that makes total sense uh i'd like to take a step back and go back towards your book i know that's coming out this fall um tell us a little bit more about that yeah so what, what i basically did is if you if you step back for a second and you say that a salesperson is an athlete then they must be trained coached and developed like an athlete. That's my that's my belief system, right? So, you know, if you think about you think about, you know, how much um, time and energy is put into the development of these professional athletes or college athletes when it comes to not just their physical fitness but also the, more importantly their mental fitness. Um, pretty much 99% of all professional sports teams have a on-site sports psychologist, a mental coach yeah. that is helping them perform Golfers all have it. Yeah. yeah. Golfers have it. Um, you know, Mark Cuban of, of, of the Dallas Mavericks, he has a, a prof- professional, professional psychologist on staff. I mean, if anyone's watched Billions, uh, we know of, um, what's, what's, the, what's the lady's name? I just went blank. On I Billions. totally the, went blank. The, the, well. the, yeah. the in-house strength that they have right, yeah. to keep them mentally tough. So this is not a, necessarily a new thing when it comes to the sporting world, but it is a more of a secretive thing that is that has to do with the, the sales world. And so... What I want, what I, what I'm trying to do is is shine a spotlight on the importance of being mentally tough when it comes to um, what it takes to become a sales warrior. So, um, so that's what this book is. I mean, another way to look at it is if if um, you know Carol Dweck, who's the Stanford psychologist who wrote the book Mindset, um, if Brene Brown, who is the amazing TED talker yeah, that for sure. you know is all about power vulnerability, and she trains the Navy SEALs. Um, you know, if 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 some of these great ones, Eckhart Tolle or um, you know Maxwell Maltz of Psycho Cybernetics, all these different people, if they were to write a book on how to 
improve the consciousness and the mindset of a sales warrior, this would be the book. And that's basically what I did is I, I studied the war. I studied all of them and their material and their concepts of what they teach to how to, you know, have si sound mind and how to be uh, mentally fit. And I applied those concepts as if I was talking to a sales professional. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, you've written a couple of books before this. I mean, and you coach a ton of different industries. Have you seen specific industries that have really embraced this or specific companies um, that have embraced this mindset that while others might be doing it the old way? Well, I mean, so every client of ours, this is what they, yeah. this is what they I mean, get. That's right? what you're so, coaching. Yeah, that's what, that's what we're coaching. And, and what's interesting is that is that um, no one ever calls us, at least now, maybe they will after the book comes out, no one ever calls us and says, hey, I know you, I know you guys are the best when it comes to uh, teaching the mindset uh, of being a sales warrior. Um, however, we, um, all of our programs, when they, when they hire us, they hire us for the tactical side of selling. We make them do the mental toughness side of selling as well uh, to remove the leashes. But they all say that's what they that's what they're there for. So meaning that that they don't realize what's what they need, but they yeah. realize that's what they need after they're kind of made to do it. You know, um, but yeah, I mean, I would definitely say, I mean, you know, as far as our clients, I mean, the you know, we've got clients in in the B two B world when it comes to commercial selling big commercial vehicles like Komatsu. We've got plenty of banks uh, that we work with. I mean, uh, banks are are you know banks are an interesting one because. We, for a long time, and not just the banking industry, but a lot of industries, you know, we've been programmed to believe that sales is a is a four letter word. You yeah. know, that sales is a necessary evil, or sales is a Plan B career versus a Plan A career. So, you know, one of the things that I believe is that is that selling is the most denied profession next to prostitution. So think about that for a second. Uh, right? Bold statement. It's a bold statement. But majority of the human race have a career at some time in their life in sales. Okay, so sales has the biggest career force of any single career force out there, biggest job force. Most people have had some sort of sales job in their life. Let, let less than 3% of universities have a ha, have a class on sales, less than 3%. Yeah. Yep. But majority of humans, if you actually look at their resume and they're doing something else besides sales now, won't even put sales in their in their resume. So it's Why pretty, do you think that is? Because I just think I think it's a denied profession. I think that, I mean, think about how many parents say, um, "Hey, you know what? I can't wait for 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 us to spend one hundred and eighty five thousand dollars for you to go to TCU to get a four year degree, so that someday you could be in sales." Yeah, I went it, to TCU. I don't think my parents said that. No, no, it doesn't happen. I mean, it doesn't. Yeah. It's not. It's it's always. And whenever you go home for Thanksgiving, you're like, "Hey, so I got this sales job." The parents' immediate response is. Is this like a stepping stone into management? Like, was there nothing else available? Like, this is what you have to do, right? Like, yeah. this is not like you're, it's, but we don't even call them salespeople anymore. We call them relationship managers or yeah. account managers or business development specialists. Account executive. Account yeah. executive. Like, we're even afraid to even have the word sales in the title. Well, I think that's a problem because I think we're denying ourselves what it's, what we're supposed to be doing. And so my belief system is that people don't have a problem with sales or salespeople in general. They have a problem with some salespeople that project boring, unhelpful, or unethical behaviors. Yeah. So what we've done as a society is because there's a couple of bad apples that haven't been trained and have manipulated people to do the wrong things and they are unethical or boring, unhelpful. So what have we done? We said, okay, we're going to fix this and we're going to change our title. 
But a person can be a relationship manager and still be unethical and boring and helpful and manipulative. They can still do that, but call themselves a relationship RM, manager. Yeah. So that we don't need to change the title. We need to go back to being, yes, I'm a sales professional, uh, but I'm going to be the best that you've ever seen. Like, why don't we, why don't we take yeah, that I mean, approach? you're really solving problems. So where's, yeah, there's a disconnect there. Uh, I'd be interested to hear your take on this whole idea of personal branding content. I mean, a lot of sales seems to be going that direction. It might be centered around what you were just talking to of selling but not selling. Uh, what is your take on that whole trend, I guess? Yeah, I mean, so I think, I think it's important for um, whatever a salesperson can do to add value, to add value and to stand out and to make themselves uh, memorable, you know, in the eyes of the consumer, I think is huge. I mean, the problem is majority of industries are a red ocean versus a blue ocean, right? So it's yeah. everyone selling the same product at the same price has the same value proposition. And so the salesperson's job is to differentiate their what they're selling, the services that they're selling or the products they're selling. Their job is to differentiate that, to communicate in a, in a different way. You know, that, you know, the joke all the time that, that I think is so funny is um, salespeople will say to me, you know, I, if, if, I, if only I had lower prices or better product, I could sell more. And I said, well, if you only had better, if you had better product and lower prices, you would be Apple. Meaning that Apple has higher prices, but they've got product that people line up for. Yeah. And so if, if as soon as your company creates an Apple type solution or product, then you're not a salesperson anymore. You make $10 an hour and you just take orders. So you gotta be careful what you want. The reason yeah. why people have commission-based sales people is because you gotta go get it. They're presenting a product or service that looks identical to their competitor next door. And the only way the consumer is going to purchase it is if the salesperson can communicate why it's different than the competitor next door. And if they can do that, they get paid a commission for that. That's the whole point. Yeah, totally agree. Um, yeah, especially coming from the insurance and banking world, there's a there's a lot of us out there. Uh, I'd be interested uh, what authenticity means for you, how how you incorporate that into work, home. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so authenticity is a really interesting word because um, you know for the longest time um, it's it, it became this kind of buzzword. It was almost like a safe word. So for example. We would go in and teach people how to improve a certain skill set and they would say jason i have a hard time doing this it doesn't feel authentic to me and it's almost like this safe word that meant okay like mercy mercy i can stop training now because it doesn't feel authentic it doesn't feel yeah. who i am well, I, I really just I, I i i got bugged by that word because i felt like it was a defense mechanism for someone to basically say i don't need to be trained anymore yeah. you know and, and so we actually looked up the definition of the word. Well, the word actually comes from some, some Greek and Latin um, roots that, that, it's, it, that it's like hentos and, and um, that, that mean basically growing, that mean evolving, that mean learning, um, that mean adapting. That's actually what authentic is. So your authentic self is your best self means your growing, changing, improving self. That's what to be authentic actually means. So, um, so there's also another connection of the word authentic that when back in the, you know, Greek times or Latin times, that 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 um, in the Roman times, if someone was authentic, it means that they were masterful at it. It means that the most authentic doctor was the one that was the most natural and gifted at healing someone at their at their trait, right? So. 
So our version of authentic is you want to be authentic from the definition of how can I be better than I was yesterday? How can I be challenged? How can I grow? How can I improve? How can I, if, if saying, if saying, for example, if saying um, a, a certain script to a customer is going to give the customer more certainty and it's a better way of saying it, and you say to yourself, well, gosh, I just this doesn't feel authentic to me. Yeah. What you should say instead is, is that, yes, this is a better way to get the outcome I desire. However, it feels currently uncomfortable. But that's okay. That's how life is. It's, it's uncomfortable because I haven't said it a thousand times. But the way that I'm currently saying it is not getting the result that I need. I need is not giving the customer certainty or education or providing value to them. And so instead of just kind of deflecting and using that safe word of it's not authentic, what I want you to say instead is it doesn't feel comfortable. And now I just need to embrace it. I need to embrace the suck, which is what the Navy SEALs say. Yeah. And I need to learn it. I need to grow. I need to improve. And I will be better tomorrow than I was yesterday. Yeah, makes total sense. Uh, I mean, you do hundreds of trainings a year over many years. Like, what do you think has it been difficult to coach millennials? Like, what do you, I mean, are Gen Z easier to train to? Are they more receptive to this whole idea of mental programming, unleashing, uh, things like that? Or what, what have you seen there from a generational standpoint? Um, I mean, look, I think everyone everyone, you know, probably gets the concept of the importance of mindset. I mean, everyone yeah. gets that. I mean, if, if, again, you know, our parents get it because they get it from the sports world and seeing, again, the golfers of the world and how many kind of mental toughness coaches they have. So I think everyone gets it. Um, is it, has it, is it, is it probably more accepted or more, um, kind of normalized for the millennial generation and the generation Z probably they're probably raised in it more so than yeah. the baby boomers were, for example. Right. Um, but I mean, the, 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 the greatest thing about the millennial generation and generation Z is that their parents told them that if you don't like the result that you were getting, then speak up and do something about it. I mean, that's the greatest thing they've been, they were told. And so versus the baby, the, the older generation, they were told just to suck it up and deal with it. Yeah, for sure. It's a very different belief system, right? Yeah. So the programming is very different. And so, um, so they, they, the, the, the younger generation is always looking for any sort of resource they get them their hands on from a coaching perspective or a new idea or a new insight, some sort of philosophy that's going to expand their consciousness and make them better um, as a whole. I mean, again, you can't generalize anything, right? Because, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, but I, I think they're, uh, again, I think they're great when it comes to coaching and when it comes to these leading edge ideas. That's good to hear. Along the same lines, I mean, you've been a top place to work for many years. I mean, how did you think about that in the first few years? Were you just trying to survive at that point? Uh, and any advice for, call it a local company that wants to be one of those top places to work? Uh, what would you recommend for somebody like that? So, um, so it, it was actually a conscious decision of ours from from pretty much day one. Yeah, that's when awesome. I, when I started my company, I had one employee, but um, I the the belief system that I have is that that um, you spend more time at work than you do in any other category of your life. Yeah. So you spend more time with the people you work with than you do your significant others, or you do your friends or family members any other people in your life, any other category in your life, your religion, whatever it is. And so if that's the case, then what I wanted to do is from a really a selfish perspective, more than a selfless perspective, but it ended up becoming 
selfless as well, is that I wanted to create a place that I wanted to go to every day. I wanted to create a place where I wanted to hang around these people every day and I wanted to, you know, um, crack jokes with them. And I wanted to, I wanted to surround myself with people that were just as passionate about what we were trying to do and their work and their artistry and their craft and their mission. And, and so one of the things that we are all about is we want to create, you know, a great place to work that, um, that, that attracts people that want to do the best work of their life every day, that want to kind of make a calling or make a, or make a, an impact in the world. And, and, you know, FPG is their calling, you know, that's, that's important to us, but that's just a, um, that's a decision, you know, that we've, that we've made that again, we spend the majority of our life at work. And so how can we make FPG a place where people want to come to work versus have to come to work? Um, not every look, I will, we joke all the time that we're not a cult, we're a culture. Um, but I will tell you there, the reason why we're best place to work is because we hire people. We're very, one, yeah, we're very, very clear, clear on what we want, right? And the kind of culture we're trying to create. And we hire people that want what we want. Because I promise you, if we hired incorrectly, we probably wouldn't wouldn't have won the best place to work awards yeah. four years in a row now. Blasted on we got blast. blasted because they're like, who? What, what kind of whack a job, job place is that? You know, they just, yeah. they wouldn't want to be here. Yeah, so makes sense. Um, yeah, we can wrap up here with a couple questions. I mean, you started the company during a recession. Um, everybody keeps talking about it in the next few years. There's going to be another one. Yes, uh, I can't wait. You <laughs> can't wait. All right, why is that? Well, I mean, again, I mean, if you if you actually look at all the history, the, the the most successful companies have always started in the worst of times. That's actually the best time to ever start your career is actually in the winter of economy. So, and the reason for that is because uh, people that start their company or their careers in the in the kind of the spring of economies, they don't get it. Like they they haven't created the right. They haven't had to fight for it. They haven't had to fight for it. They haven't had to create the mental models of what they need to do in order to thrive, in order to win, uh, no matter what. They don't know, they don't understand that they are the problem and they are also the solution of their success and their company's success. They don't know that. They don't have those mental models. But when you start your career or your um, your company in, in the worst of times, well, you take this belief system that's I am the problem and I am the solution and I have to fight and scrape and hustle hard for everything that I do. And so, so, so then all of a sudden, you know, sales come easy and the economy is great and people are calling you wanting to have business. Well, great. That's just icing on the cake, you know, but our company started on the cake. We started with the cake, the foundation of the cake, not the icing. And so the reason why I look forward to the next recession is because um, that is the time when companies that are, are hustling harder and that are hungrier, they end up buying out and acquiring the weaker companies that are trying to just survive yeah. and are trying to cut cost. And so the, the thing that you will see us do in the next couple of years, I also believe the recession's coming in 2021. That's my prediction. And when that happens, you will see us hiring more. You will see us calling more. You will see us um, retaining. You will, yeah. we, we're going to be speeding up. Yeah, not that's when you'll down. double. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, what's one of your favorite interview questions? My favorite inter- interview questions yeah. for me? Yeah, ask for, me. yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, you guys, there's a ton of millennials here. I mean, what's your favorite interview question? Oh, when we're out, sorry, we're at and we're interviewing people. Yeah, right. for sure. Sorry. Um, you know, I mean, the, the, the thing that we, um, I'm trying to think. So the, th- the thing, we, we have a very interesting interview process, but, um, 
I mean, I think I think the big thing that we're trying to always ask people is, you know, what are you really trying to accomplish? Like, what is, you know, what what are trying you, to find their why? Try, we're trying to find their why. We we ask several different ways to ask that question on trying to figure out what their why is. But, you know, what's their mark of the world that they're trying to create? I mean, we we just spend a lot of time on that. Um, we're trying to trying to see if people are we call procedural minded versus option minded. So do they like following processes versus creating processes? Um, so we have a very unique way. We also want people to have high levity scores. So levity is that they're, they like to joke a lot. Um, so we, we want to have a warrior spirit in here and a warrior work ethic. Uh, but at the same time, we really do believe in a work hard, play hard environment. So, you know, we will be working very hard here, but then all of a sudden some nerf ball will be thrown at your head in the middle of nowhere. And so we want people to be okay with that and not get annoyed that yeah. they're in the middle of their work and they got a Nerf ball thrown at their head. Yeah, makes sense. Um, have you been reading anything good? Uh, you mentioned the documentary Fat, um, what like podcasts or what do you predominantly listen or read? Yeah, so um, I mean, the, po the podcast I like actually, that's a um, one podcast I like is the the Sean, Sean T podcast. I haven't heard of that. It's a it's a um, it's another health podcast, but it's it's a good one. And then um, and then also um, any, anything that Mind Valley puts on. Mind Valley is a really great kind of publishing house. They they have they have some really cool stuff. Uh, a book that I really like that I finished that is called uh, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Um, David Goggins is the I, I believe the only human being that's ever. Uh, gone through Navy SEALs boot camp and Special Forces Green Beret boot camp and all kinds of different boot camps. So he's kind of has the most Special Forces designations underneath him. He, he's also done more ultrathons and, than anyone else. Um, so that's a really cool book because it's a great book on motivation because this guy uh, has accomplished a lot in his life, but he's actually the guy that's done it versus, you know, some of the rest of us, maybe the, teach, the teacher talking yeah. about it, but don't have the actual the actual result yeah that's awesome i uh, will take a look at this uh what is something you believe in that few others do um something i believe in i mean i really like the warren buffett quote which is um be greedy when others are fearful and be fearful when others are greedy i think it's a yeah. really good kind of quote to live by um my favorite author of all times my favorite book of all times is um, atlas shrugged by ian Rand. Uh, people say that if you're a millionaire, uh, you read the book Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Hill. If you're a billionaire, you read the book Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. And it's just a book on capitalism, but uh, she has a great book, a great quote that she talks about that I swear by my life and for the love of it that I will never live for the sake of another man nor ask another man to live for the sake of mine. So what she's basically saying is I'm not going to go to you and say, you know, hey, can you spot me a 20? Um, even though I don't deserve it, can I get, can I, can I have a 20 and nor am I ever going to give you a 20 without you doing some sort of work for it? Yeah. And so I'm not going to work for you. You don't work for me in the sense of an entitlement mentality. And so, um, it's a pretty cool philosophy to live your life by. I think that's a great way to end it. Jason, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. It's been great. Hi everyone. It's Matt. Thanks again for tuning into healthy conversations. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe to the show on iTunes, leave a five-star rating, or write a quick review. If you really loved it, share the episode on social media. It really helps our iTunes ranking. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.